Let's turn to God's Word together. Genesis 18 is our Old Testament text and our sermon text as well. Genesis chapter 18. This is God's Word, so let's listen to it now very carefully. Then the Lord appeared to him by the terebinth trees of Mamre as he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day. So he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing by him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the ground and said, My Lord, if I have now found favor in your sight, do not pass on by your servant. Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. And I'll bring you a morsel of bread that you may refresh your hearts. After that, you may pass by inasmuch as you've come to your servant. They said, do as you have said. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah and said, quickly, make ready three measures of fine meal. Knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd, took a tender and good calf, gave it to a young man, and he hastened to prepare it. So he took butter and milk and the calf which he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree as they ate. Then they said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? So he said, Here in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Sarah was listening in the tent door which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age, and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I have grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I surely bear a child since I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, No, but you did laugh. Then the men arose from there and looked towards Sodom, and Abraham went with them to send them on their way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm doing? Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have known him, in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they may keep the way of the Lord, to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. And the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grave, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it that has come to me, and if not, I will know. Then the men turned away from there and went towards Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. And Abraham came near and said, Would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there were fifty righteous within the city. Would you also destroy the place and not spare it for the fifty righteous that were in it? For be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? So the Lord said, If I find in Sodom fifty righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. Then Abraham answered and said, Indeed, now I who am 
but dust and ashes, have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose there are five less than the fifty righteous. Would you destroy all of the city for lack of five? So he said, if I find there forty-five, I will not destroy it. And he spoke to him yet again and said, suppose there should be forty found there. So he said, I will not do it for the sake of forty. And then he said, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak. Suppose thirty should be found there. So he said, I will not do it if I find thirty there. And he said, indeed, now I have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose twenty should be found there. So he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of twenty. Then he said, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak but once more. Suppose ten should be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of ten. So the Lord went his way as soon as he had finished speaking with Abraham. And Abraham returned to his place. Our New Testament reading is John fifteen twelve through 17. John fifteen twelve through 17. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. These things I command you, that you love one another. Amen. Thanks be to God for his word. Let's pray and ask him to bless it to our hearts now. Gracious Lord God, thank you that you've given your spirit to take this word and... uh, Put it to work in our hearts. Lord, let our hearts not be hard or unhearing, but let them be soft in your hands, that you might do with them as you will. Turn us more to Christ. Turn us more to repentance and more to obedience and more to trust and more to faith in you by your word and spirit. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. How close is God to you? Sometimes we view God as being so great and so full of majesty and, and up there that it, we lose sight of the fact that, he is, that He's intimately involved with our lives. He's, he's the eternal creator, and, and he's, he's, he's so beyond me, so beyond my imagination, so beyond my ability to think, uh, so beyond my, my life, that having a relationship with Him is like trying to have a relationship with the Milky Way. It's just, it's too far away, it's too big. For me to relate to. Um, and, and it's true that God is transcendent in, in, in these ways, that he's, he, that he's far beyond our ability to comprehend. Um, he is, uh, he's the eternal creator of all things. We're just little creatures uh, who, who do not have uh, infinite ability to understand him. Um, but, but he's also imminent. He's also close, uh, incredibly close. He's he's as close to us as we are to ourselves. In Him we live and move and have our being. He's a close God. His eye is on us. We we live our lives with His gaze on us. 
and His presence with us. This is true of everyone, of course. Um, God is omnipresent, and this is true of every part of His creation, that He's there. Um, But it's true in a very special way, in a unique way of of His people, uh, that He's not just present by virtue of the fact that He's God, but He's present, uh, He's close as as a friend is close. That he's close, uh, that he's made a covenant with his people, bound himself in love to his people, and he draws near to his people and has a relationship with his people, a real relationship, a close, intimate relationship involved with the details of, of their lives. It's a, it's, it's a tremendous thing to think about, isn't it? That, that God would have a relationship with us and he would make a way for us to, to, to be called a friend of him. That he would know us and, and want to be known by us. That, that it, our relationship with him that he gives us, that he offers to us, is not just an acquaintance, uh, but actually a friendship. We, we read about this just a few moments ago in John fifteen fourteen. Jesus says to his disciples, you are my friends. Mutual love. Mutual relationship. Mutual delight. He knows us, we know him. A real friendship. Loved ones, it's one thing to believe that you are a Christian and, 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 to, and, and to trust in the, these, you know, the, the, the truths of the gospel. But, but there is another aspect of Christianity beyond that. Isn't there? there there's the closeness, the relationship of, of intimate trust and intimate knowledge and, and an experiential knowledge of His love for us. And knowing that He's present uh, and, and having tasted that in our lives. Um, that, that by His grace, by His Spirit, He is a friend who is closer than a brother. Right? The closest possible relationship that we can have is with Him. Do you have that with the Lord? Do you desire to have that with the Lord? Genesis 18, our text tonight, Genesis 18 is a portrait of just that kind of friendship between the Lord and between Abraham. Abraham's unique in Scripture. He, he's called God's friend. And it's a rare title. But, but several times in Scripture, he's called a friend of God. Second Chronicles 20, verse 7 says, did, not you, did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And then again, Isaiah 41, 8 calls Abraham God's friend. And then James chapter 2, 23 in the New Testament says, the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. And chapter 18 is giving us a wonderful lens onto that friendship, that close and intimate relationship between God, the Lord, and and Abraham. And, and it doesn't just, chapter 18, of course, as it, as it shows us that friendship between the Lord and Abraham, is not just saying, isn't this a lovely picture? Too bad it's not for you. It's saying, isn't this a lovely picture? Come on in and be a friend of the Lord too, by his grace. The story begins with God coming to Abraham in, in verse 1. Over and over. This is always how it happens in Abraham's life, isn't it? We don't, we don't see Abraham petitioning the Lord and then the Lord coming. We see the Lord initiating every time he comes to Abraham. He, he draws near to Abraham. This is not, that's the first thing we see about this friendship, is it's not a, a friendship that's built on Abraham's righteousness and worth. It's a relationship that is based in God, based in his grace. He moves towards Abraham. 
And He shows Himself to be a God who does not stand far off, but a God who draws near. Verse 1, He comes close. The name we get for God throughout this chapter, throughout chapter 18, is referred to as the Lord, Yahweh. All caps there, the, the Old Testament, uh, the, way, the way we recognize the name of God, Yahweh there. Um, chapter 17, previous to this, if you look at the names of God, it's primarily God, Elohim, focusing on His power. But here, Yahweh, focusing on His relationship with Abraham. This is God's family name, that His friends uh, the, the friend that his friends have the privilege of, of taking on their lips. So the Lord, Yahweh, comes. And he takes on a visible human form uh, as, he, as he draws near to Abraham here. He looks like a man. Uh, this isn't an incarnation, right? He's not becoming man. He's not taking flesh to himself. This is, a, this is what theologians call a theophany, a visible appearing of God in, a, in, a, in a, some kind of visible form um, uh, where, where God makes himself visible to man. Abraham sees three men coming towards him. Two of them, we're going to find out later on, uh, as we read on in chapter 18 and 19, are, are angels. And one of them, one of them is the Lord, appearing in a temporary visible Form. It's not clear at first that Abraham understands uh, who these men are. He sees them coming, and uh, being, a, uh, being, a, being a righteous man and, and, and living according to the standards of hospitality in his day when there are no Airbnbs on, on your trip to, to, to book, uh, he, he, he runs to these people and he offers, them, he offers them a meal, he offers them a chance to rest under his tree, a uh, chance to, to wash their feet and be refreshed on their journey. He, his, his hospitality is exemplary here. Um, uh, he doesn't drag his feet to this. He runs to it. He wants to do this. Um, he, uh, he, he, he promises to bring them a morsel of bread. Um, it, it's a funny thing that he says that because later on he's going to kill the fattened calf and get, you know, make the cakes and, and, and bring a whole feast to these strangers. But here's, he's offering a morsel of bread, perhaps the way you might say, do you want to grab a bite to eat? And then it's a big meal, right? He's, he's, this is the way he would speak. And, and so he, he has them to come take this break. And they agree to stay and, uh, and, uh, and to be served by him. It's a wonderful scene. He, he runs, he's running all over the place in, the, in these verses. It's, it's almost comical. Uh, he runs into the tent and tells Sarah to make cakes. It reminds me of that moment. Where, I'm sure you've got a familiar moment in your mind that you can think of when suddenly you find out someone's coming over and you rush home. Honey, can you make something really fast? Right, and Sarah's throwing this meal together. Uh, then Abraham runs from there. Remember how old he is. He's an older man, but he's running. He's hurrying to show this hospitality. Uh, he runs out to the herd. He finds the, the best choice calf, young, tender calf. And he, uh, he has the young man uh, prepare it. Uh, talk about a farm-to-table meal, right? This is, this is, this is going to be a fresh meal for these guys. Uh, and and, and uh, he's doing all these things. He gets the butter. He gets the milk. And then he brings it all generously to serve these, these three strangers who've come to him. We know, the reader knows who this is. He doesn't seem to know yet, but he's showing us exemplary hospitality. And then we see the Lord, the Lord himself is here meeting with him. Why does the Lord come to Abram like this? Why, why, why does the Lord uh, uh, draw near to him in this way? I think he, he's showing Abraham, uh, and he's about to reveal himself to him as God. He's showing, he's showing his friendship toward him. He, he, just how intimately that, that he's getting involved in Abraham's life here, that, that he, he is willing to take on a human form and come right up to Abraham's tent 
and enjoy the food that Abraham has prepared. Um, this wonderful moment of intimacy as, as Abraham is showing them hospitality and the wonderful way we see God as a friend to Abraham, uh, getting involved in the details of his life, getting close to him here. Uh, does God treat us like this? Does he come near to us like this? Um, come right up to our homes, right up into our lives? Uh, well, he does, doesn't he? Right, he? He is present with us in these ways. He, he is present in the details of our lives, present with us in our homes, at the dinner table, in our conversation with one another, in our work even as well, in all our relationships. He's there. He's present. This is building on what we saw in, in, in Genesis 16 where even Hagar and Ishmael out in the wilderness, God's right there with them, making sure they're cared for, that, that he's present, that, that he's not far away. Now, none of us have the experience, probably, of, of seeing a theophany and, and cooking a meal for the Lord and, and some angels, Right? Uh, but but as we look at um, as we look at Abraham's uh, fellowship with the Lord here, we shouldn't be jealous, because what we enjoy is something better. God is not absent from us just because we don't see a, a theophany and and serve Him a meal. Um, he speaks to us in a real way, in an active way, through His Word. His Word is living and active, and as we open it, His Spirit takes that Word and applies it to our hearts and. And speaks it to us. I read a quote one time from John Piper as he was, as he was uh, writing about this. Um, intentionally to, to kind of provoke interest. He, he writes like this. Let me tell you about a most wonderful experience I had early Monday morning, March 19, 2007. A little after 6 o'clock. God actually spoke to me. I remember reading that the first time. I said, wait a minute, John Piper. What are you about to say? He goes on. He says, there's no doubt it was God. I heard the words in my head just as clearly as when a memory of a conversation passes across your consciousness. The words were in English, but they had about them an absolutely self-authenticating ring of truth. I know beyond the shadow of a doubt that God still speaks today. And Piper goes on to describe this wonderful experience of hearing God speak to him actively right there in that moment uh, with, with real words. And then he says, and I, I, it's because I was reading my Bible. I was reading the Psalms. And, and those words are God's word to me. Brothers and sisters, what we have in the word of God is not a dead letter, but a means of grace by which the Lord speaks to us. Just as much as he was speaking to Abraham, he takes this word and he speaks it to us. Do we treat the Bible like that? We, we began by saying, do you want that friendship with God, that closeness with God? Well, it's found in communion with him in his word, where he speaks to you. He offers you the best and closest of friendships through his word and spirit. As we look at the passage here, uh, we see... As, as it goes on in verse 9, that it's as God speaks to Abraham, that Abraham knows without a shadow of a doubt who this is. God speaks and reveals himself to him. 
In verse 9, God asks if Sarah's in the tent. I think this is when it's definitely becoming clear to Abraham that this is no ordinary stranger. Here's someone who already knows his wife's name uh, and knows that she's in the tent. Um, God, God, uh, God is drawing Sarah into the conversation as well. And then in verse 10, he gives them this wonderful reassurance of his promise that he's already made. He says, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife shall have a son. He's saying about this time next year, your, your wife Sarah will have a, will have a son. It's been, it's been years since God made this promise to Abraham and Sarah, but here he is once again reminding them of the promise and, and guaranteeing that it will come to pass. Um, what do you suppose Abraham felt as he heard those words? The promise is, uh, is precious to him, isn't it? And, uh, and finally God is, God is saying it's one more year. One more year I'll come and, and give it to you. Um, I, I, think he, I think he was rejoicing in this. But we're not told here what Abraham is feeling. The, the, the camera, if you will, switches to Sarah. And we get, we get her perspective. The focus is on not Abraham's faith, which has been built up and, and strengthened over the chapters that we've seen, but it's, the focus here is on Sarah and on, on her doubt. Um, Sarah is in the tent. She hears God makes, uh, make this promise. And what does she do? She, she laughs. Um, I don't think it's because she thinks it's, uh, it's funny. I think it's because she's feeling cynical. Lord, Lord, I'm old. Way past the time of having children. Even I w- when I was in the time of having children, I couldn't have children. My husband's old. We're way beyond that. And you've been promising this over and over and over. And this feels like just another empty promise. And, she, and, and she's just, she, she's, she's, she's not going to be taken in by this. She's feeling cynical about the promises of God. This is ridiculous. It's just ridiculous. We feel like that way sometimes. This is ridiculous. The promises are too big, uh, too unrealistic. Um, our faith gets mixed with discouragement. The, we're living in that gap between the promise and the fulfillment, the promise and the reality. And, and uh, the eyes of faith get dim sometimes, and the eyes of the flesh start to take over, and, and uh, we, we start to see impossibilities, and God's promises start to look empty uh, and like things He won't fulfill. And God knows Sarah's in this doubt. And, and this is probably one of the reasons he's come. And one of the reasons he's drawing her into this conversation, um, he's being a friend to her. He is, he, he's drawing out her doubt, uh, showing love to doubting Sarah, um, uh, coming to correct her, to teach her, and, and to encourage her uh, in, to trust him, to trust the promises. God's question in, in response in verses 13 to 14 flips Sarah's logic on its head, right? Sarah's laughing because the promise is ridiculous, right? She doesn't think it's realistic at all. But then God turns around in verse 13. He says to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Um, then in verse 14, he says, is anything too hard for the Lord? Right? The Lord is saying, this is what's ridiculous. Not believing in the promise. That's ridiculous. Thinking something's too hard for the Lord. That's, that's, what, is, that's what is laughable. Uh, when we're not seeing reality clearly, when, um, when our eyesight becomes distorted and short-sighted by doubt and by our own weakness, God's promises look ridiculous in that, in that scenario. But uh, when we see who God is through the corrective 
glasses that his word gives us, uh, then, then we see that what's laughable is not the promise of God, but doubting the promise of God. Look at what he's done. Look at who he is and what he's done. He said, let there be light, and there was light. He brought all things that exist out of nothing. He says, let there be stars in the sky, and there are stars in the sky. He says, let dry land appear, and dry land appears. Right? This is the God we're talking about, the Creator. The one who, 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 who creates all things out of nothing by the word of His power. And the whole universe responds in precise obedience to His every command. So it's laughable, isn't it? To say that it would be impossible for him to give Abraham and Sarah a son. Of course he can. Every page of the Bible declares to us that God is mighty to save, mighty to work, mighty to do his purpose, and he always fulfills his promise. Look at all the impossible things that he does all over the pages of Scripture to freeing Israel from Egypt or destroying the walls of Jericho, or even bringing a son from a virgin, our Lord Jesus, or raising him from the dead. Nothing is impossible for him. Bring that home to your own heart. Um, The Lord has made you promises. He's given you a Bible full of them. Um, uh, Which of them looks impossible to you? Um, His promise to provide for you? His promise that in all the suffering of your life, you're more than a conqueror in Christ. His promise that his strength is made perfect in weakness. His promise that he'll never leave you or forsake you. His promise, perhaps, that he'll provide a way of escape in every temptation. Um, His promise that one day you will stand face to face with him in glory, raised up with a new body. All these promises he's made, none of them is impossible. Right, we, 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 we can look on these, the dim-eyed sight of doubt, right? And we, we look at them with suspicion sometimes, even cynicism sometimes. But he is able to do all that he's promised. This is how he treats his friends. This is how he comes to Sarah. It's wonderful, isn't it? He comes so graciously to her to draw out this, this doubt and, and uh, encourage her, even though she persists in it, even though, uh, even, though, even though she denies this, right? In verse 15, she says, I, I did not laugh. He says, no, but you did laugh. He knows her, and he loves her. And her pro- his promise to her does not depend on her faith or her honesty, but on himself. Nothing's impossible for him. God continues to show his friendship here. He shows his friendship in these ways. He continues to show his friendship towards Abraham as the story then shifts to this impending judgment on Sodom. Uh, God does a remarkable thing uh, here. As, As the two angels and the Lord... They finish their meal. They get up to leave. Abraham, uh, Abraham goes with them on their way. As, as, this, as this happens, the Lord uh, decides to uh, share with Abraham what he's doing. This resonates with the words that we read earlier in John, uh, John 15. A, a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. A friend knows what someone's doing. And, and the Lord here is, 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 is treating Abraham as a friend. He's letting him into his counsel, letting him into his purpose, saying, shall I, verse, verse 17 and 18, he says, shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. He, the Lord is turning to, to Abraham and, and uh, letting Abraham into his confidence 
as it were, treating him like a friend. He says in verse 19, For I have known him. Uh, the Lord is close with him. He loves him and, and, and wants to share what he's about to do with him. He's also sharing this with Abraham because of uh, what he's called Abraham to be and, and, and what he wants from Abraham's descendants as well. The Lord's purpose here is, is to, to give a warning to Abraham and his descendants. Verse 19, he, the Lord says, "...in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they may keep the way of the Lord, to do righteousness and justice." The Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. In other words, the Lord wants Abraham to know what it means to have God's favor and friendship and also how dangerous it is not to have it or to have it and walk away from it, too. Um, Friends of God walk in righteousness and friends of God do justice. Friends of God do not move towards Sodom and begin to live in Sodom and turn towards worldliness there. They don't get more and more comfortable with sin. Friends of God fight sin. Uh, Friends of God, as Jesus says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. Friends walk in obedience to the Lord. Um, If you don't obey Him, then you don't love Him. And you're not His friend. Uh, this, this is what the Lord is doing, and he's, he's giving this warning here of judgment that comes on those who are not his friends, that persist in this rebellious unbelief and disobedience. Um, and then God brings the judgment fully into view. Uh, he shares this plan with Abraham. He's, he's planning to go to judge Sodom uh, to see if the sinfulness of Sodom is as great as he has heard. Two angels go on towards Sodom. Abraham lingers with the Lord, and then he, then he turns to the Lord and begins to pray with him, now, he prays reverently. He prays full of full of awe and humility, but also with confidence. He he knows God is his friend. He's 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 realized that that God has uh, given him this privilege of approaching him, and he pleads for mercy for Sodom. He asks the Lord, "What if, what if Lord? What if there are fifty righteous people in this city? Will you destroy the righteous along with the wicked? Will you or will you spare the whole city?" for the sake of the 50. Lord, you're the judge of all the earth. How could you destroy the righteous? How could you treat the righteous like the wicked? What if there are these righteous people in Sodom? This is his prayer. The Lord responds, yes, that, that's right. Uh, uh, if, if I find 50 righteous people in Sodom, I won't destroy it for the sake of those 50. God, God graciously allows Abraham to speak to him this way. Um, he gives him his ear. Um, uh, he listens to him, even though Abraham is but a man. Um, uh, Abraham knows, though. Yeah, I think even as he's beginning to ask these questions, there are not 50 righteous in Sodom. So he starts, uh, what, what he's doing sort of rep, uh, 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 mimics uh, uh, the way you would bargain in the ancient Near East. He, he brings it down a little bit. What, what, about, what about 45? Would you spare the city for the sake of 45? The Lord says, yes, I would. For 40? Yes, I would. For 30? Well, yes, the Lord says, I would spare it for the sake of... Uh, for, for 30. Um, 20? I'd spare it for the sake of 20. You can, you can feel the tension rising as, uh, as the stakes are realized, um, and I think as Abraham's realizing how few righteous, if any, there are. Lord, would you spare it for the sake of 10? Lord says, I wouldn't destroy it for the sake of ten. But there aren't ten. 
I think Abraham is realizing this, that he doesn't need to drop the number any lower. There isn't anyone righteous in Sodom. Um, even his nephew, Lot, has he, he's not um, embraced all the ways of Sodom, but he is, he is so much living comfortably there um, that the Lord is not going to spare the city for his sake. He'll, he'll bring him out of it. He'll rescue him because of his relationship with Abraham, but he's not going to spare the city for his sake. There is no saving Sodom uh, because of its sin. Uh, uh, Lot has become like salt that's lost its saltiness. Um, and uh, uh, there, there, there is no one righteous there. The city's doomed. The destruction is about to fall on Sodom, and we're going to look at this more next week as we come to chapter 19 and see the condemnation of Sodom. Um, it is not an isolated event. It's not this, this kind of freak, just one-time thing that God does, um, never to happen again. It's, it's, it's like a tremor that tells you the big earthquake's coming. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an inbreaking of that last judgment that's going to come. It tells you that uh, God's final judgment, on a much bigger scale, is coming on the whole world. We see this in 2 Peter 2.6. Peter says, By turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what's going to happen to the ungodly. So the Lord is one day going to do to the whole earth what he's about to do to Sodom and Gomorrah here in Genesis 19. And only the righteous, only the friends of God will be saved from that. In light of that, um, uh, the question that we, were, that we began thinking about, are you a friend of God, uh, becomes a very urgent question. Judgment's coming. Wrath of God is coming. Stored up for long ages against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. It's coming. And uh, only the friends of God, only those who are righteous, will be spared. Are you righteous in His sight? Are you a friend of God? How, how can we be? Um, Romans 3.10, none is righteous, not one. And ourselves, we're not friends of God. We're his enemies. The judge of all the earth will do what is right. And that means sin will have its just reward. And that means sinners will be condemned. Enemies of God will perish under his wrath. But praise the Lord, Christ died for us while we were his enemies. Um, He came down, didn't he? He drew near. He didn't just take on a temporary form uh, there, to, as he did in Genesis 18, but he comes, the second person of the Trinity comes and clothes himself with our very nature forever. He takes a true body to himself, a reasonable soul to himself, draws near to us in love, and draws near to us in friendship. And he comes and he takes the uh, suffering, the wrath of God that we deserved, and he brings us near to God and makes us to be called friends of God too. And, and he intercedes for us. Right? We have this picture here as Abraham, the friend of God, prays for God to have mercy on sinners. Uh, so our Lord Jesus uh, prays to God, pleads with God to have mercy on us. And his prayer is, is effective um, because as the Lord Jesus prays, he says, Lord, if there is one righteous, will you spare my elect for the sake of the one righteous man? And the Lord will. He clothes us with the righteousness of our elder brother, our Lord Jesus Christ, the friend of God. And in him we are saved and cleansed 
Loved ones, in the, in the story of Genesis 18, um, sometimes when we're reading the Bible, we like to see ourselves as sort of the, the hero in the story, right? We, we want to be like Abraham in the story or, or what have you. But, but here I think we're more like Lot, um, lost in ourselves, not near to God in ourselves. We need our, 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 our elder brother to intercede for us, pray for us, and we're saved by the righteousness of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in Him, in our Lord Jesus, God takes those who were His enemies and makes us His friends. So yes, uh, there is glorious hope for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's a wonderful friendship that God holds out to us and offers to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. A friendship that is precious, a friendship that is rooted in His righteousness and not based on ours, a friendship where uh, He keeps all His promises And he is able to do more than we ask or imagine. Where else can you find a friend like the Lord? Are you a friend of God? Are you living as a friend of God? Drawing near to him, enjoying the sweetness of communion with him, getting into his word, hearing his voice, walking with him in obedience. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you have the God of the universe, that you have come down and made us your friends, clothed us with the righteousness of Christ, washed our sins away, and brought us into fellowship with you. Lord, let us not, let us not wander from you or drift from you. Lord, let us keep in step with your Spirit and walk as friends of God in obedience to your commandments. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.